are the Deciding whether or not a private jet could be right for your business? Well, fear not. We've got you covered with our brand new super relatable podcast all about private flying for only grotesquely rich people who can afford stuff like <laughs> private jets and pool-sized fondue fountains. I literally was listening <laughs> to a podcast the other day and like that commercial came on and I was like, what? How big is the audience size for this podcast? One percent. One percent big. <sighs> anyway. So we're talking animals. We're talking animal connections. We're talking about animal guidance. We're talking about psychic animals. That's our first episode for 2022. Yeah. So I hope everybody's ready to cry about animals today. <laughs> because I just feel like that is bound to happen when you're talking about how special animals are and like why they're so special. And also it's mm. February, which is the month culturally associated with love. And mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. It's, I feel, rather apt to be talking about animals because they're so easy to love. And they have a pure, a purity um, of love, of the quality of love that they offer is um, typically unconditional, you know? Um, mm. Yes. And it's a pure kind of love. It's uh it's not something transactional that, you know, can be revoked um, over Ugh. human sillies, you know? It's, it's, it's <laughs> a very, like, um, a noble, a noble, loyal, 
sentiment. It's a love without ego in the way. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So today's episode, we'll be discussing what makes animals so special, as well as magical animals, occult significations, and some folklore associated with animals, animal intermediaries, emissaries, and animal spirit guides, and um, just ultimately why animals are so gosh darn amazing. Uh, But I feel like in talking about animals in a spiritual context or in the craft, there's a tendency to use appropriative terms that um, are important to acknowledge and important to learn about so we can make sure that we are not saying... (laughs) completely offensive things when we're trying to talk about something that is actually you know very authentic and um authentic and important is what I'm yeah saying. authentic and important yes so uh on that note um i just wanted to do a brief sort of psa about the term spirit animals you know there's been a lot of sort of resurgence online about this term and like, you know, should non-native people use the term spirit animal? You see like a million websites. Um, I think most of them are like 10 years old at this point. So like they kind of predate this conversation, but like not really because we should be having this conversation already. But you see a lot of websites that are like, find your spirit animal and like right yeah spirit animal spirit animal and people would yeah. even take it um, out of context and talk about non-animal as being mm-hmm. like like kind of like a tongue-in-cheek way Just of like saying like applying uh, it to whatever oh my god like sylvia brown is my spirit animal or like whatever but i mean yes that kind of stuff, <laughs> stuff like that yeah uh so You know, I googled, like, should non-native people use the term spirit animal? And the overwhelming results were no. Right. No, you should not. Mm -hmm. Um, Article after article written within the past three years or so are, like, all communicating that it is not appropriate. I did find out some, like, like the weird history of the term spirit animal. Like you guys just mentioned about, uh, you know, how there's, like, these quizzes online and, like, People talking about, like, their, you know, to be extra white lady, pumpkin spice latte is my spirit animal. Like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There was uh, an Atlantic article that is titled, like, Your Spirit Animal in an Investigation. So they looked into, like, where, where it started and, like, how it landed itself in pop culture. But apparently, according to this article, the spirit animal is not, like, a native term. Like, that's not... How, apparently, like, you know, according right. to this, how they talk about animal connection and guides and things like of that nature. And it actually started in the late 1900s. Don't we love that? <laughs> the late mm. 1900s. Like everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it started in the 1990s that uh, in news groups and chat boards dedicated to Wiccanism, paganism and shamanism, 
but it was meant like unironically like mm-hmm. that in in the early days of the internet people in those groups were using that to sp- explicitly speak about their connection to animals having nothing to do with you know like native american culture but ultimately as it sort of spiraled out of control through the internet via memes etc what we were just talking about you know it it crossed certain lines socially you know and i found this in an article written in a website uh wellandgood.com this article is speaking with an indigenous journalist and founder of indigenous wellness initiative well for culture uh her name is chelsea luger um and then on this article it says like even though quote spirit animal isn't a term widely used in indigenous culture if at all it takes the concept of their sacred connection with and reverence for nature and twists it into a catchphrase and a commodity and that's what makes it a damaging form of cultural appropriation, which is not words I was able to find because it always did feel a little icky, but I couldn't really put my finger on it Mm -hmm. um, until I found like that article and like, you know, that information. And for me personally, like, I just don't, I don't need any more than that to like, not, not use that term. You know? Yeah. I feel like usually how this goes is, indigenous folks have been saying for like 80 plus years please don't use this thing please don't make fun of this thing please don't right (laughs) don't further jeopardize our culture and you know the survival of our culture by by using this thing as a caricature or as like a sports mascot or as Mm. just like a funny pop culture thing that ultimately makes Native American ritual and traditions and things into just kind of like a big joke. And we're only just now getting to the part in, I feel like, the history of the United States, especially where people like white people are having that conversation we're like actually picking up the conversation and saying hey you know what like maybe we should listen like Mm -hmm. how about that and then of course there's all this pushback (laughs) from obviously like white people right (laughs) and we're still in that but really it's it's a white person's responsibility to take that torch up and be like you know other other white people please stop doing this thing you know they asked you respectfully several times (laughs) over the course of various decades and (laughs) it's time now you know it's time to not flippantly use like make references to Native American culture in uh like a joke context and it's time to stop mm. having sports mascots that are literally <laughs> like the profile of a Native American warrior as your character on your t shirt. Um, yeah. Yeah. Gross. 
Big time. Really gross. I did find this website when my searching about this topic that I actually thought was really helpful and like kind of clear cut as far as like being mindful of the language you're using and the importance of the language one uses. It's called impacttravelalliance.org backslash travelers dash guide dash two dash mindful dash language backslash, which is like a lot, (laughs) but you know, you can replay it and re-listen to it as you type it out. And they're not like affiliated with or sponsored by us or for us. But ultimately, like I just found that website to have like a really clear, succinct definitions of like terms that are common vernacular that really shouldn't be that are offensive and appropriative, lays out why, what that all means, and like to be mindful of that going forward. So check out that website for just like a further resource on that sort of thing. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I've seen a lot of really good articles on that, like really good eloquent articles about that. And also the use of white sage and things like that out there. Mm. And it's worth Mm -hmm. reading that stuff that people have put together. If I can find any of them, I'll try to post them on the Facebook page to make them Mm. easily accessible to folks. Yeah, I'll link that website that I just talked about, too, just for fun. Maybe we'll put it in the the show notes as well. All right. Now that that is all cleared up and out of the way, let's get into the news for today. The news. The news. (laughs) The news. I'm sorry I was muted. I was eating cookies. (laughs) But they were keto. (laughs) So the, the news, news is that Sister Celine is eating some delicious cookies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the news, everybody. <laughs> that has been the news. No. <laughs> uh, I found some interesting news of essentially like mid to late January of this year. Uh, China has a rover on the dark side of the moon. And it is the first one. It's called U2-2, which is really cute. Like, Y-U-T-U-2. Um, and it's the first rover to explore the dark side of the moon, which is interesting. And they found a couple of neat things over there. One is that the ground is stickier, which is bizarre. <laughs> they mentioned that the wheels... Uh, are like 42% covered with like soil, like a moon's soil, which they're like trying to brush off as static electricity, but just like thinking of the dark side of the moon as sticky is very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, you never know why <laughs> that might know. be. I've heard that moon dust has a really weird texture and can actually be, you know, potentially really dangerous for people with respiratory ailments mm. because it that can just like sense, instantly then. get into your lungs in a way that that earth dirt doesn't but i don't mm. remember exactly why that sounds like the beginning of a horror movie where the dust <laughs> takes control of your organs and turns you into this weird moon zombie monster thing <laughs> i 
I feel get copyrights. Like... Yeah, right? Get no, copyrights no on one that. better steal that idea. That sounds <laughs> in the realm of possibility to me, also, given just, you know, the direction that humanity is headed in and the way that things have been going the last couple of years. As far as, like, yeah, for sure. extreme dystopian type mm. <laughs> future scenarios. <laughs> yeah. They found two other things of note. One is they found a dark green shiny gel substance. What? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're they're saying that it's likely sort of similarly to how we have like moldavite and like tektites that are the result of impact, you know, from space material on Earth. They believe that that's essentially what it is, is that it is like molten material from impact of other space things crashing into the moon. Um, but it's like a gel, not like a solid. So that's cool. It's like space snot. Yeah. Oh. Great. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, and the last note on that is that the dark side of the moon appears to have way more like impacts impact craters than the side that we see and they're consistent with you know our side of the moon's craters as far as how they're all within a relatively shallow depth across the whole moon and that is a little bit interesting if you wanted to get into like conspiracy theories about the moon actually being like a alien-made satellite that was placed here intentionally versus something naturally occurring and the fact that despite it not having any kind of atmosphere like everything that crashes into it only goes so far into the crust of the moon like what is it made out of that no matter what crashes into it it only goes those few meters deep and like that's it you know? yeah. I thought it was cheese, wasn't it? It's, um, that's where Starbucks gets the moon cheese. Um, yeah, um, yeah, that sounds. It's that sounds right. it's weird, slimy, blue green, snotty red green moon, moon cheese. cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. The crumbs of which will infiltrate your lung and take over your mind and turn you into a rabid killing machine. <laughs> yeah creepy and i had never heard of that uh conspiracy theory about the moon being an artificial Whoa. satellite that aliens have put there but i mean that makes a lot of sense in a way if we do <laughs> if we do a moon episode which i'm sure we will someday mm -hmm. like i will get into it <laughs> well we all know who is on the moon with her little uh telescope watching us at all times is rita repulsa from the Power Rangers? Remember anyone? Yeah, she's on a moon base. So I'm feeling like she's the alien who's constantly doing surveillance on us. Because I do feel watched at times. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. Aww, I can hear Otis. Yes, Otis had to say something because this is our animals episode and he needed to make his presence known. He's right here with me. <laughs> Otis, do you have anything you'd like to add about the moon? Oh! Anything else? No. Not yet. Not at this time. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also have a little bit of moon 
related in the news, which is that part of Elon Musk's SpaceX rocket that has been in space for seven years is currently expected to crash into the dark side of the moon on March 4th. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not a thing that was intended to happen, but also it's just one of many, many pieces of so-called space junk, namely more than 27,000 known pieces of space junk that are currently in orbit around the Earth with no solution in place for them because humans are so consistently disappointing and gross and hopeless. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the... Uh... Yeah. That's 100% right there. An article on USA it's Today. So an article on USA Today about that impact that is about to occur says that talk about the impact has apparently led to some concerns on social media about it potentially changing the moon's orbit, which Bill Gray, creator of Guide Astrometry Software, attempted to temper down by saying, sure, the rocket weighs about four tons and will be traveling at more than 5,700 miles per hour. However, the moon is fairly routinely hit with larger objects moving in the ballpark of 10 to 20 kilometers per second, which is more than three times as fast as the SpaceX rocket will be traveling, hence the craters, and he said, it's well built to take that sort of abuse. To which I say, stop fucking up the moon. (laughs) Like, I can't believe we're talking about building a bunch of ugly junk on the moon just so we can have a way station to potentially get to Mars when we haven't even learned to treat the planet that we already have with any degree of respect. And honestly, yeah. I feel like these billionaire douchebags will honestly stop at nothing, and they will take things as sacred and eternal as the moon away from us if we let them. So we better figure out how yeah. we're going to stop them before the moon is totally ruined. This is Psyche Rose with a post-recording update. Which is that as of yesterday, February 15th, it has now been determined that the rocket on course for lunar impact on March 4th is in fact a misidentified Chinese rocket and does not belong to SpaceX after all. That said, I still stand by my rant against billionaires and governments trying to turn the moon into some kind of business or industrial prospect. Okay, that's all for now. We need an alien yeah. intervention. If they did put it there, they need to come help us out, I think. Yes, please. We're time. We need this help. This is our distress <laughs> signal. Consider this an official SOS message. Please <laughs> hone in on these coordinates. <laughs> oh my god, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> if this is what calls them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't regret it. If it isn't our podcast, I don't know what it would be. Exactly. I mean, this is really the, this is, this is the time. In other light-hearted news, 
<laughs> On February 22nd of this year, the United States will be going through its first ever Pluto return. Yay! Yay! <laughs> now, how's that different from a Saturn return? So, Pluto returns only come about every 248 years because Pluto is very far away and moves very slowly. So it's not something that an individual person can ever experience. Excitingly though, an old racist country can, so brace yourselves. <laughs> oh, oh joy. <laughs> If you're familiar with astrology, then you know that Pluto rules a lot of the most intense themes in the universe, like death and rebirth, transformation, reinvention, karmic cycles, power struggles, personal power, interpersonal skills, viruses apparently, destruction, yeah. wealth, sex, creation, intensity in general, obsession, subconscious forces, the shadow self, what is unseen, what is hidden under the surface, mysteries, and everyone's favorite, suffering. Yeah. Hooray! Yay! <laughs> Pluto is currently in Capricorn, where it has been since 2008, which has been real super fun and great for me. How about you two? No, not so, oh, not great so time. much. <laughs> no, it's been absolutely phenomenal. It's been a dream. <laughs> that said, astrology isn't just black and white, so Pluto return is not necessarily a bad thing because change and transformation is necessary, even if it can be unpleasant. And according to an article on Bustle.com, just like the ever-elusive zodiac sign Scorpio, which it aptly reigns over, Pluto is a riddle shrouded in mystery. In astrology, this celestial body signifies death of old traditions, the birth of new ones, and annihilating problematic dogma you've come to recognize Ooh. as part of your DNA. A Pluto return, uh, okay. Love that. therefore, spells a metamorphic change in the country's astrological history as it's forced to meet the most hidden and not-so-noble parts of itself. It's a time to air out the grievances, reflect, and completely rebrand. Love that. I'm ready for that. Yeah, that's about, yeah. about time. Yeah, I think it's hard to be fully ready for that, but yeah, I feel like right. <laughs> in a lot of ways we are ready for that. Um, whether, whether we like to have that be the part of history that we live through or not, because <laughs> right. you don't really get a choice <laughs> yeah. about that kind of stuff. But uh, Pluto returns are about the ends of empires, the changing of guards, the transfer of power. Dana DeFranco, astrologer and co-host of the Allegedly Astrology podcast, tells Bustle, America has Pluto in Capricorn in the second house of money, property, security, and values. Capricorn is the sign of infrastructure, work, and earning your keep. And these concepts relate to traditional American values and the American dream. Mm. Huh. So for nations, countries, and empires, the sign house placement and aspects to Pluto in the national chart will relate to power and secrets and cover-ups 
and generational pathologies and even what types of subjects are okay to talk about versus what is deemed as taboo and i think like we were just having that conversation yeah, about we like we were just talking about that what you know what is in conversation is the only stuff that can eventually change so how long is this pluto return going to last so technically we've already been in the 10 degree orb of the pluto return since 2020 which obviously uh -huh. explains a lot uh, yeah and gestures um, generally at everything <laughs> <laughs> and then I think it like kind of remains relevant until Pluto transitions out of Capricorn. So, and I I believe so Pluto <laughs> is in Capricorn until March 23rd, 2023. Okay, so we've got some work to do. We've yeah. got some time. Uh, <laughs> yes, we do. But yeah, I think that honestly um, what that tells me is that the younger generation is going to be this kind of plutonic force, this, you know, shifting force to kind of tilt the different points of the meter on, that indicate, you know, things that are taboo, things like cultural appropriation, things like, you know just inappropriate things and what things are considered appropriate and inappropriate and um, kind of just changing the scheme to um, be more fair place, to be a kinder place. Um, that's hopefully, I think, uh, what we're already getting glimpses of um, because a lot of these young kids, they don't take any shit. They, like, if you start with your you know, saying things that are messed up, but like they will come at you and they will say, no, <laughs> that's not how you say, you know? And I think that's exactly what we need. So I think um, I'm all for that kind of shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So long as it's like a progressive shift, I don't want another regressive shift where we go even farther back into yeah. like the dark ages. Yeah. Um, I'm just hoping that it doesn't go that way. I think the difficult part of that is that, you know, we're bound to see the darker elements kind of like rearing their heads, you know, like the, the shadow mm. element will be on full display. And I, mm -hmm. that's already happening. I mean, we had the insurrection here. Yeah. Yeah. And I just heard on the radio this morning that that's happening in a couple of other countries, actually, right now. Currently, these, you know, marches onto Capitol mm. buildings by people who are essentially brainwashed by, like, fascist rhetoric. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're, they're marching on Capitol buildings to protest things like public health protection measures and things like that because they still they still can't accept that the coronavirus is happening and that things need to be done about it so it's going to be an interesting time but yeah. um, astrologers are saying that we can expect a lot of emphasis to be put on things like working conditions and income 
and inflation, inequality, and even the topic of maybe student debt cancellation and things like that. Also, tax reform, (laughs) possibly social justice and accountability, and uh, hopefully environmental protection since Pluto is stationed in an Earth sign. So a lot of, like, good to be gleaned from... Yeah, this is your lighthearted news. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... (laughs) This is my... (laughs) As a person with a Capricorn stellium, this is is about as... as lighthearted as I get. Um... (laughs) I'm just kidding. I, you know, I have other... I'm like a Leo Ascendant, so that counts, kind of. So, anyway, in Mm. other news, (laughs) Bob Saget, as you may know, recently passed away from a tragic unwitnessed head injury, they've determined. Mm -hmm. And to honor his memory, I thought I might mention this woo-woo quotation of his that I recently stumbled on, which has to do with the fact that Bob Saget's sister died of scleroderma in 1994. And during his life, he raised more than $26 million for the Scleroderma Research Foundation. Oh my gosh. In an interview that was ha- that happened right before his death, actually, um, he was describing his sister's death. And he said the following... Um, we were all in the room when she let out her last breath, and I don't know how to explain it, but it felt like, I mean, I'm going to get all woo-woo here, but it felt like the soul going past us, literally felt it, I felt my hair kind of move, you know, and being an actor, that's a very important thing if your hair gets out of place. So he like tried to put a little bit of comedy into it, but I just felt like that was such a beautiful sentiment mm-hmm. that he shared um so close to his own his own death, but um speaking about the passing of someone that he loved and it, you know embracing the uh, spiritual aspect of that experience. No, that's really beautiful. And the fact that he had done so much um, to help yeah. and raise money for, for uh, solutions to this. Um, it's just really such a, a just a, a noble, benevolent, kind thing to do. You know. Definitely. Oh, and he you might like this factoid, Sister Celine, but he mentioned mm. how Robin Williams used to basically drop everything and come help out with like any of the fundraising events. Oh Robin Williams. Of course he did. I was just watching the Doubtfire last night, rewatching it, and uh had me in stitches because I haven't seen it for many years, and we also saw the um, the birdcage. So we saw him in both. Oh, I love the birdcage. Uh, <laughs> I love both of them, but Fantastic. I feel like yeah. the birdcage is good because 
it's a little bit later and it doesn't have quite so many like weird societal yeah yeah tropes about things in there i i was definitely noticing things in mrs doubtfire that i'm like ooh, that maybe could have been written in a much uh better way (laughs) we don't don't need quite so many like little like transphobic remarks and things right exactly for its time that you know i i do really love that movie because yeah. of Robin Williams, I think if because anyone else, Williams, yeah. if anyone else was playing the part, then it it would have been at risk of like devolving into just like a spectacle. I can't even visualize another actor in that role. No, I really can't. You know, like there are other films where you're like, oh, you know, this actor would have been really a lot better in this role, or I could see this actor playing this role, uh, but. For Mrs. Doubtfire, I don't think anybody at that point in time had that kind of comedic range and was willing to do so much physical comedy and do it well. Yeah. And I think he was just really such a masterful uh, artist. Yeah, like a force of nature, really. Yeah. So, does anyone have any more news? I think that's it for the news. Um... Oh, wait, there is a little bit of, to me, this is news, uh, which is that my my dog's seventh adoptiversary is on February 15th, Aww. which makes him over eight years old. And I just want Aww. to emphasize how that is a monumental injustice, and we really need to figure out how to keep pets from aging. I agree. (laughs) Absolutely. Although, some of the things I'm going to talk about are, well, we'll get to that, but it's about (laughs) aging and what happens when the berry is left to ripen a little too long on the vine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well... (laughs) (laughs) In a roundabout way that doesn't make any sense, that brings me to the question of the hour, the one that is on everyone's minds. Are doggos heckin' psychic, or are they just doing us a bamboozle? Mm. Before we get into it, it may behoove us to have a working definition of terms like telepathy and psychic which I think Wisteria has for us. Yes, welcome to uh, Definition Time by Wisteria. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like a new non-segment segment. It's like vital information um, on the All That show. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Uh, all that. Uh, so, just going to throw some terms and definitions out there just for a little clarification, for fun just so we're all on the same page. Uh, The definition of psychic, oh, BT dubs, all of this was like off of Google and or dictionary.com. Psychic is defined as relating to or denoting faculties or phenomena that are apparently inexplicable by natural laws, especially involving telepathy or clairvoyance. So define telepathy as 
the communication of thoughts or ideas by means other than the known senses. I will comment that the actual written definition was that it is the supposed communication, but I'm editing that out because <laughs> no, mm-hmm. you know, That's yeah. Um, we're, we're talking about the woo. I, yeah. So, and I also found that the definition of extrasensory perception is essentially the same as telepathy as far as like communication of thoughts or ideas by means other than the known, like the five known senses. And then another note on the clairs mentioned as clairvoyance in the psychic definition. Clairvoyance is the faculty of perceiving things or events in the future beyond normal sensory conduct. That word became most popular in the 1850s, which is like the school feature that Google has where it tells you like when the word was used the most. Oh, wow. Um, Clear audience is the faculty of perceiving as if by hearing what is inaudible. And while that word started being used in like the late 1800s, it didn't actually become like common vernacular until 2019, which is pretty recent. And then the last one to touch on, because I think it's the most relevant to the topic of the day, clairsentience, which is the ability to perceive emotion or psychic energy that is imperceptible via the five standard senses. And there you go. And then you have the last one, which is Claire Danes, my so-called life. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like the 90s reference episode. Yes. Yeah. Radio gets results. Gets results. Radio. Radio gets results. Your radio show. <laughs> oh, man. I recently found that on the internet, and it's like in my mind, it sounds a mm. lot better than it, the actual. <laughs> the actual recording of that jingle is is just mind-bogglingly awkward and terrible. <laughs> it's amazing, and, and it's one of the ones that you like for sure want to try to sing along with. Yeah, regardless yeah. of tone deafness, you et can't make it worse right. by doing yeah. that either. <laughs> no, it's like uh, complete and utter freedom to listen to that jingle and sing along with it. <laughs> That's right. Anyway. Uh, Many people, myself included, have stories and anecdotal evidence to support the hypothesis that dogs have a sixth sense. Additionally, we know dogs have a seemingly never-ending list of incredible abilities. They can smell things we can't smell, hear things we can't hear, they can sense impending earthquakes and seizures in people, They can read our emotions, sniff out illnesses like cancer in humans, or identify potential hypoglycemic emergencies in people. They can differentiate between familiar footsteps and those of a stranger, or find bombs and drugs, or cadavers by scent, locate people trapped underneath rubble in disaster zones, predict when someone's going into labor, And the list goes on. And we know from science that we can explain 
most of this stuff by studying their overall physiology, like their vastly superior nose apparatuses, which afford them an almost supernatural insight into everyday stuff that is totally undetectable to us. But do we have any scientific evidence which suggests dogs are psychic? Well, Psychology Today has an article about this very subject titled aptly, Is Your Dog Psychic? And I'm sure no one will find it shocking that Psychology Today chose to take a conservative view, stating that our dogs are probably not clairvoyant, nor are they bending the laws of nature with their psychic acts. The stories suggest something even better, that dogs have natural-born superpowers of observation and sensitivity. In fact, the seemingly psychic abilities of our dogs can be explained by the latest scientific findings in the study of canine cognition. Scientists studying the evolution of dogs from wolves believe that dogs and humans co-evolved, meaning the two species have partnered so closely that neither would be where they are without the other. Because of this partnership, dogs have evolved a whole toolbox of social and cognitive skills that help them understand and communicate with humans. For example, dogs have a dedicated region of the brain for processing human faces, which helps explain their exquisite sensitivity to human social cues. Dogs are watching very closely, scanning for clues about what we are going to do next. And before we give a verbal signal like let's go play, we have likely already given several nonverbal cues about our intentions. We may not even be aware of all the nonverbal signals we are giving. On occasion, a dog might tell us what we're saying, for example, that we're upset or excited without our knowing what we're doing, so it isn't surprising that dogs do seem at times to predict what we are going to do. And the article says we tend to take human experience as the baseline or normal. If we do, then dogs do have extrasensory perception. Massaging the definition of ESP a bit to mean information hidden from the normal human senses Dogs actually possess this skill in spades. The sensory world of dogs overlaps with ours, but also extends well beyond ours in some areas. And so Scientific American says, so no, dogs are not psychic, but they might as well be. Um, yeah, it sounds like that really the whole thing is kind of saying like, well... We don't want to actually say the right. word psychic. <laughs> we don't but, want like, dogs to be psychic. Thing, right. But all of the actual things that delineate or define rather what a psychic does and what psychic feats are. Uh, yeah, they are fully capable. <laughs> yeah. And the, I do want to say I think it's weird how people will pretend like they know for sure that animals don't have ESP. They're like, Oh, my name is G, and I can definitely say that animals are definitely not psychic. Because the default starting point, I guess, is that, you know, they already know everything, 
and, you know, okay guy, then I guess you know literally everything there is to know about every single animal, and you have <laughs> intimate insights into the private lives of animals, and you already know exactly how the physics of the entire universe work, even beyond everything that the world's leading physicists and chemists and scientists do. <laughs> well, duh, obviously. <laughs> they do their research. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, in reality, I think you can say, I don't think animals are psychic or like... Based on such and such evidence, I am speculating that animals aren't psychic. But as far as being able to state it as a cut-and-dry, indisputable fact that stands up to a wealth of anecdotal evidence from people who do live and work closely with animals, um, you can't really make the determination on behalf of all mankind that mm -hmm. and like no animals are psychic and that it's like absolutely just a bunch of nonsense. Also, yeah. a lot of um, supposed debunking of ESP and telepathy and other abilities on the psychic branch seems to be based solely on the fact that it seems like specific abilities can't be replicated every single time in the exact same way on every occasion by every person who has ever done a study on the thing. Mm. And... I feel like that kind of consistency might just not actually apply to ESP or even to occult subjects in general because mm -hmm. um, debunking rarely takes into account how often potential examples of ESP and successful remote viewing or like successful telepathy are replicated just because it's not all the time, like, every time, always. So, yeah, the scientific process might just, like, not quite have the flexibility required for studying this kind of topic. Unless, of mm -hmm. course, <laughs> that study is being performed by the CIA, secretly. Oh. I, since the CIA has admitted that all kinds of woo-woo stuff is legit as far as their own studies are concerned. Mm -hmm. But I digress. Um, yeah. I actually have a story of interest about some specific studies that were done examining whether or not a specific doggo might indeed be psychic. So our story begins in 1988 when a woman in the UK named Pam Smart adopts a terrier named JT. Pam works during the day and leaves her dog with her parents for those hours. Every day shortly before Pam arrives back from work, JT gets up and moves to the window to wait for her arrival. At some point, it becomes evident that... JT begins waiting by the window at the exact minute when Pam begins leaving work. So, like, not when he would be able to hear her approaching, but in fact, just as the thought of leaving work has crossed her mind. It didn't matter what time Pam left for work or what mode of transportation she took. 
JT always knew when she was on her way. In 1994, a friend tells Pam about an ad in the Telegraph requesting people to participate in a study if they have a dog who seems to know exactly when they're coming home. So, Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, an English author and researcher in the field of parapsychology, does a battery of experiments with Pam and her dog, roughly a hundred of them, during which Pam came home at different times, some wherein she isn't even told what time she'll be asked to come home, some changing up her mode of transportation, and just like all the little details switching out. All of it was designed to rule out the possibility that JT could hear her car or that he was acclimated to a consistent routine. The experiments conclude that it's possible that JT is sensing Pam's thoughts through some form of telepathy. Later, Austrian state television gets in touch with Pam wanting to do an experiment of their own on JT, and in their experiment, after a day of taking Pam around town, they have her sit on a bench with the interviewer, and then all of the sudden, at some point, the interviewer says, okay, we'll be heading back now. In the program that was aired later, they split the screens with the camera at her parents' house showing exactly what JT is doing at the moment when Pam learns that she's going home. And at the exact marker when Pam gets up from the bench, that's when JT walks over to the window to start waiting for her. Oh my god. When the same footage is shown on British TV, a skeptic named Richard Wiseman, of course, <laughs> provides commentary stating that this can be easily explained by the dog's sensitive hearing or routine and is certainly not telepathy. However, Pam knew that all of those factors had been ruled out in Rupert Sheldrake's study. So Sheldrake and also Pam invite Wiseman to come do his own experiment. And Wiseman ends up doing only four measly little experiments during which he gets exactly the same results. And then his experiments show that JT only went to the window 4% of the time when Pam wasn't on her way home, out of, like, interest in a thing that was happening outside. And then 78% of the time, he would be at the window when Pam was on her way home. In 1997, mm -hmm. British TV airs a program called Secrets of the Psychics, in which skeptics try to debunk anything paranormal. Mm. Um, like, so, like, basically, like, a skeptics free-for-all, just... <laughs> they must be so fun at parties. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so in it, Richard Wiseman shows footage of JT, and he makes the claim that it was all just obviously coincidence and that there's no evidence to support notions that JT might be using a sixth sense. He basically edits the footage to show JT 
reacting to some dogs outside the window for like a couple of minutes and then he claims that JT is at the window like every 10 minutes regardless when that's patently false based on a hundred other experiments and also anecdotal information from Pam's parents who are watching him like all day. Mm. Additionally, the clips he used happened right before Pam was actually coming home. So he's at the window (laughs) because she's coming home in that very clip. And there's a Mm -hmm. video on YouTube all about it with Pam giving her side of the events and they show the full clip of what was happening, which was later edited to support Wiseman's agenda, which I guess is like, you know, zero respect for people and their experiences and like just abject hatred towards psychic dogs for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) He's jealous. He's Um, jealous. He just hates nice things, I guess. Yeah. And Pam says that Wiseman has continued to misrepresent the experiments done with JT in books and appearances over the years, despite the fact that Sheldrick and Pam have both called him out on it. Mm-hmm. My thoughts are, do we need to debunk psychic dogs? I don't think so. I really don't see the value <laughs> in pursuing such a course so passionately unless something is seriously wrong with you like yeah you just have a rotten personality (laughs) and you just want to take the joy out of the world you know and and just a scroogey grinch like personality yeah, yeah 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 definitely yeah it's um i don't know it i i think that people who are that skeptical about everything and make it a point to kind of just um you know drive drive any kind of notion of like woo-woo stuff into the ground like that are um just very sad people i think that they have a sadness you know and 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 this kind of helps to um i guess bolster their own belief in in what they in how they believe the world is and should be and uh and what there is room for and what there is not and psychic dogs are not making the list yeah yeah it's kind of like uh just ego driven and sort of like mansplainy in that way where it's like You just can't, you just can't let anyone even be having that conversation because you know better as a smart guy. And, uh, and it's pretty much always a guy, isn't it? It is usually. Yeah. With the, the Sylvia Brown, when she had like her things, which, you know, that's a whole other story. It's always the same type of guy also who makes a career out of that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think we can just appreciate all of the possibilities that doggos have to offer us without accusing them of doing us a bamboozle. I would argue argue that nothing of significance can really be gained by trying to debunk a story of a potentially telepathic dog. Like, it's not protecting anyone from significant harm. 
Like, are like no. who's being saved by arguing with this woman about whether or not she and JT share a close, potentially telepathic connection? It's it, yeah. There's literally no reason to pursue this, yeah. Other than like the ego boost you will get when you straight out lie to support your agenda and just be like, see, see, I was right, you were wrong. Dogs yeah. aren't psychic. <laughs> and it just like it's just like stripping folks of the ability to celebrate the like joy and like the light in their lives that comes mm-hmm. from their connections to their dogs and their potentially psychic pets. And mm-hmm. uh you'll notice that this skeptic guy has taken it upon himself to try and stomp out that happiness in the world, like, as you were saying, mm-hmm. as it relates to psychic dog stories for some reason. And uh, what's the point? And besides, as Tammy Brown would say, you don't mm-hmm. see Richard Wiseman walking children in walking nature. Walking children in <laughs> nature. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. What's he doing for the world, but just trying to dim everybody else's light? Oh, yeah. No. And I mean... Richard Wiseman? I, I really don't right. think so. That they is always, advertising. How crazy is it that he <laughs> even has that last name to go with it? And I mean... It makes no sense. <laughs> like, I don't know a lot about him, but I feel like mm-hmm. I can safely assume that he's not walking children in nature. Oh, no. Absolutely not. And also, if anything, he's telling them that Santa Claus isn't real. Right. <laughs> it's very important Just that because. children <laughs> learn at a young age that yeah. Santa Claus is yeah. not not real. He's like that kind of person. And I, yeah, he would go a step further and be like, yeah. And so, how do you feel about that? That your mother and father are lying to you? And that they have been lying to you all these years. Don't you feel betrayed? Like you can never trust them again? How did that make you feel when you found out? I feel like he's just the type to twist the knife. Because he's actually uh, completely corrupt inside. <laughs> it's also like the type of people that you have to argue with about like whether or not uh, animals have a consciousness, you know? Like I bet, oh I bet God, he's I one of that. those people also, where it's like, well, yeah, I need. They don't have a soul. Seventeen yeah. tests to determine whether or not animals <laughs> have feelings and thoughts and are mm-hmm. technically alive, and it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just completely ridiculous. Not like, only a colossal waste of time, but just coming from a very negative place. Yeah. And you can, like, just sit down in a chair and pet a cat instead, my friend. Yeah. 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 Be a better use of your time. You'd feel better. Everyone would feel better because they wouldn't have to listen to your ridiculous little tests and uh, make the world a better place. And on a personal note. Pet a cat. um, Yeah. Like, pet a cat. Or a dog. A psychic dog. (laughs) I bet he doesn't have any pets. I'm like, oh, no. we're we're roasting this poor man so hard. <laughs> I don't even know if he's still alive. I don't. Oh, well. <laughs> um. Uh. 
Anyway, on a personal note, uh, I... <laughs> I have noticed this thing with my dog where every day after he eats dinner, I'll give him half of a chewy treat that he likes, which I call a cookie. So he mm -hmm. like knows the word cookie, which is has become kind of a problem when I make like people cookies and people say the word cookie and then he gets like very confused and excited. Aww. And he will lose yeah. his mind. He will lose his mind <laughs> when it's cookie time. And mm -hmm. but like most days I'll only give him half because I feel like it's this like chewy thing. I don't want him to be trying to digest a whole big long stick of like mm -hmm. whatever that's made out of. I don't know what it's you know. Um, it's like vegetable based but I think there's like a little bit of like meat flavoring or something. Anyway it's just mm -hmm. like I just don't like him to like eat a whole one at a time because he'll, he'll just scarf it down and potentially choke because he's a maniac. And yeah. so he gets half every day. But on Fridays, because he wants two cookies, if he can possibly, if he can possibly convince me, he wants two of them in a day. And so on Fridays, as like a special thing, I'll give him both halves of the cookie, but I'll like space them apart. But for mm -hmm. some reason, somehow, he's he's been able to track which day of the week is Friday. And I can't figure out how, because it's not like my routine changes on a Friday. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's not... I, I don't think that there is a way that he can detect which weekday it is. And so it's just like really weird, because I'll forget that it's Friday, and... I'll give him one cookie and then like two or three hours later he's like coming over to me like where the F is my other half of cookie handmaiden and I'm like oh my god you're right it is Friday and he's just like of course it's Friday um, and I have no idea how he knows and then other days he like very occasionally he'll jump the gun and he'll think that it's Friday and he'll come mm -hmm. over and he'll be like, you know, it's Friday. And I'm like, uh, it's not Friday. And then I'm like, wait, is it Friday? <laughs> because like, he just knows that I'm disorganized enough that it might work. Like, I'm pretty sure he's just doing it because he knows it, it could work. Like, mm -hmm. he's like, mom is completely off her rocker. She might believe me if I <laughs> go over and I say that it's Friday. So that's a story about my dog. And I, I don't know, like, is he using a calendar? Is he using, like, a built-in doggy calendar? Is he, like, so. smelling yeah. the different things in the air that tell him like what day of the week it is somehow that like I can't possibly perceive it's crazy I think it's definitely some sort of internal psychic kind of uh, connection it's, it's, a, it's a, not only astute powers of observation but it's also something internal that is 
also similar to like what um you know animals have when they walk several like i read a story the other day about a cat who wound up like halfway across the country and was lost like five years ago and now they're like you know transporting her back via plane because she she walked so far away and it's like um (laughs) you you hear stories like that and then you hear stories of them coming back and having some sort of like geomagnetic gps inside of them that um helps i mean this cat did not they had to be escorted back by plane but um there are stories where you know cats and dogs will come back home and it's like they just know there's a way of just knowing things yeah um and it is kind of like um along the lines of what wisteria was saying when we were doing definition time about clairsentience and just knowing and i would go a little further and say it's almost like a form of omni omniscience you know where Mm. you are just like these (laughs) pets they have a holistic way of um interpreting the world around them and they they take every single detail that is missed by us and you know our fairly primitive senses compared to them you know because they can hear wavelengths we can't they can see things we can't and um that coupled with this intuition um it makes them capable of these great things you know yeah they're like fully in tuned which so um Eckhart Tolle has uh an illustrated book about the spiritual power of companion animals that kind of like Mm. echoes what you're saying about them being tuned in to Mm -hmm. everything in a way that we like can hardly even force ourselves to be um yeah and the book is called guardians of being Mm. and uh it it's a really beautiful book that i think every pet person should have on their coffee table and he writes in it that he has known many zen masters and all of them were cats And there's Mm. also this quote from him in an interview where he says, I believe that dogs are keeping millions of people sane who would otherwise become deeply neurotic in our alienated world. The dog Mm -hmm. keeps you in touch with being beyond mind, being the innermost core. You can look into the eyes of the dog and see that innermost core. There are teachings that say every being is a spark of the divine, of God. You can see it sometimes more clearly in dogs than in human beings because the human being has the veil of mind, negative emotions, and ego, and that plays a role. I believe that dogs fill a vital function in the collective consciousness of humanity. I would call them the guardians of being. They show us what we have lost, and once we realize that, they can help us in our shift into a deeper state of consciousness. Mm. That is so beautifully stated. And I, I do think that applies to, you know, most companion animals also. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I have a little bit of 
dog folklore to share. Mm-hmm. So delight, Merlinite, Black Tourmaline. And that's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. It's true you make a better way. But first, a message from our sponsors. Just kidding. We don't have any sponsors. But we do have a donation button on Red Circle if you'd like to help us afford our web hosting for the upcoming year. Or you can help support independent bookstores along with the podcast by making your next book purchase through our curated storefront on bookshop.org. Also, we're excited to announce that we'll be opening up a new shop on Public with some ridiculous new paranormal, witchy, and queer empowerment designs. So be sure to like and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram for updates. And if you're enjoying this episode, consider dropping us a positive review or sharing it with a friend to help us grow our audience. We deeply appreciate your support, which helps us to ensure optimal woo-to-you content in the future. And now, back to the killing. I mean, (laughs) our regularly scheduled program. We are the Mysticagal. Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon. We are the world. Um, in tales, it is posited that dogs will bark in the night to ward off evil spirits, which they, much like cats, are said to be able to detect. Mm. And there are a lot of other magical and spiritual associations concerning dogs, such as phantom black dogs known as the Grim, especially in the British Isles, and they're said to be um, harbingers of death or evil, sometimes associated with cemeteries. Phantom black dogs are actually a worldwide phenomenon, and I have an experience seeing one, actually, in addition to the story that I tell in our Halloween episode about like mm-hmm. the mangy brown one. I've actually also seen uh, a huge, like larger than life black dog that couldn't possibly actually exist because I saw it, you know, not in like the physical realm anyway. I saw it on a college campus. I looked over and it was there. It was like the size of a horse. Wow, and that it was, sounds like one of the hounds of Hecate, and yeah. she was like trying to say, hey! <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, as you mentioned, there are the hounds of Hecate, and quoting Wikipedia, dogs are closely associated with Hecate in the classical world. In art and literature, Hecate is constantly represented as dog-shaped or as accompanied by a dog, and her approach was heralded by the howling of a dog. The dog was Hecate's 
regular sacrificial animal and was often eaten in solemn sacrament. And personally, mm. especially when I am walking my dog at night, I will sometimes ask Hecate to help protect him from other animals that could be around, like foxes and skunks and bears and things, because even mm -hmm. though he is quite fierce, he is small mm -hmm. and edible. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are familiar with the Egyptian jackal-headed god Anubis, known as the conductor of souls, which is yet another example of the apparent connection between dogs and psychopomps or, you know, and or chthonic or unseen realms. Reading mm -hmm. from LearnReligions.com, while a howling dog during childbirth may mean a life of discontent, a dog licking the face of a newly born infant guarantees that the child will be quick to heal from injury or illness. This is Future Psychia popping in to say that this piece of dog folklore about infants who are licked by dogs actually has some basis in science. According to an article from the New York Times titled, Are Pets the New Probiotic? Dogs roll in the mud. They sniff feces and other questionable substances. Then they track countless germs into our homes, on their paws, snouts, and fur. And if the latest research on pets and human health is correct, that cloud of dog-borne microbes may be working to keep us healthy. Epidemiological studies show that children who grow up in households with dogs have a lower risk for developing autoimmune illnesses like asthma and allergies, and it may be a result of the diversity of microbes that these animals bring inside our homes. Exposure to animal microorganisms during the first three months of life helps to stimulate a child's immune system so that it doesn't become overly sensitive later in life. Additionally, exposure to animal bacteria may trigger bacteria in our gut to change how they metabolize the neurotransmitters that have an impact on mood and other mental functions. So it's possible that our pets contribute antidepressant properties to our lives in more ways than just where oxytocin is concerned. And now, back to the show. In some parts of the southeastern United States, it's believed that a dog eating grass indicates that it will soon rain on your crops but it also indicates that you will soon be cleaning your carpets. <laughs> because usually, <laughs> if a dog eats grass, he's definitely going to vomit. So watch out. That's some insight for new dog owners. <laughs> if your dog is eating <laughs> plants or grass, then, um, yeah, take them outside. Certain breeds of dog are associated with good fortune in different parts of the world. Poodles and Dalmatians are both considered lucky dogs, particularly if you pet or scratch them before you leave the house. In some countries, the magical properties of a dog are determined by its colors. A golden-colored dog is associated with prosperity, while a white pooch is associated with romance. Black dogs are symbols of protection of your hearth and home. And there are millions of magical and spiritual beliefs about dogs, 
And I decided <laughs> that I wouldn't go too deeply into it because we we could probably do like a years. Three parter just yeah. on dogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we could just talk about dogs for the entire rest of Mystagoggle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're not going to. However, <laughs> on another personal note, as a dog walker of six years in Philadelphia, I would often write in my notes to clients that I feel like it takes a very special kind of soul to be a dog. And I think that that applies to cats and other companion animals as well, as we were saying. Um mm-hmm. Because their sacrifices are so truly insurmountable and their gifts to us are so huge and they're so uniquely forgiving and loyal and totally hilarious. And if you look at life as a choice that a soul makes on the other side, then you can easily see how it would take a really special, pure light of a being to decide to be a dog or a cat especially in my opinion yeah totally agree yeah this concludes part one of our month of love series celebrating sacred animals tune in next time for a discussion about cats in japanese folklore and feline visitations from beyond the grave as well as avian superpowers beware and be well Beware and be well. Beware and be well. I'm looking for him now all over. He's a hunting dog, all right. He keeps me hunting day and night. This is what I worry over. Say who put the roving rover? My whistle's getting dry. It seems as if I hear that mongrel whine. I should worry like a tree and have somebody trimming me. Where's that doggone, doggone dog of mine? Wolf! Animals! Psychic abilities! But what does that mean? Looking around all over, here over, come rover. It's like, oh yes, I remember how to say words and talking noise things. <laughs> so, does anyone have any more news? And then I was getting into the Claire's, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, just I the Clares. Ah, shit balls. probably should close that so it doesn't start playing while we're recording.
It seems as if I hear that mongrel whine. I should worry like a bee and have somebody stinging me. Where's that dog on, dog on, dog of mine? It's like Franklin Sussex Automobile. The only choice you need. You need. Yeah. But. Yeah. Oh my God.